Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Broadcasting from Montreal, this is The Korea File, a bi-weekly podcast about music, culture, and society around the Korean Peninsula and the world. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode. How did the shift to a primarily agricultural society in Korea almost 3,000 years ago lead to the introduction of social inequality? Join me for a discussion with archaeologist Rachel Lee concerning her work on household archaeology excavations near Jinju in South Gyeongsang province and the wider arc of her research about Korea's prehistoric Mumun period. This is the first of a two-part conversation. Rachel, you speak in your paper about social change and household geography in the Mumun period, yes. right? uh, or the Mumun pottery period in South Korea, and this was 1500 BC to about 100 BC. Uh, your research brought you to two settlements, Pyeonggodong and Beksokdong. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So, where are they located geographically? So I personally worked at Pyeonggodong. So my co-author um, is the one that contributed the Pyeongsukdong data. Um, so Pyeonggodong is located in Jinju City, which is in Gyeongnam Province in the southern coastal region, sort of the central southern coast of Korea. West of Busan, two hours-ish? Yes, that's about right. Um, and then Pyeongsukdong is in the western part of Korea, sort of in the central western region. South of Seoul, about an hour and a half, near Gongju. Yes, yes. Okay. So are these remote excavation sites? As in, are they pretty close to city limits? Are they a little removed? So Pyeonggodong was actually um, mostly the suburb of Jinju proper. So downtown Jinju was more eastern to Pyeonggodong. And Pyeonggodong was mostly just agricultural fields and... um, Due to a rapid development um, of the, I guess, starting in the 1990s, but really um, accelerated in the 2000s, there was a, um, I guess, all these uh, salvage archaeology, which is what we call salvage archaeology in, in the archaeology world, is when there is some sort of development project that's going to cover a piece of land that might be archaeologically valuable. So we do sort of quick excavations, um, as thorough as we can under the time frame. And um, yeah, those, so Pyeonggodong was a salvage archaeology project. Uh, what kinds of artifacts do you dig up in these kinds of settlements? Typically, um, if we're looking at house houses, um, so these are pit houses. So pit houses are semi-subterranean uh houses, dwellings, and you'll have, you know, what you would find in a house right now. You'll have cooking equipment, you'll have a place to cook, to cook, 
pottery to cook the stuff in. You'll have um, anything that you know you'll use to craft items because they were actually making stuff inside the houses, um, oftentimes. So you'll have uh, tools. So tools are a big thing. So pr- primarily, you find pottery and tools. Mumun describes the undecorated pottery style of that era. Uh, throughout the Korean Peninsula, this was the style that dominated the period. You write that the Mumun period is a formative era during which many hallmarks of permanent, sedentary village life appeared. Can you explain to me what a permanent, sedentary villager's life looks like at that time? Sure. So, prior to the Mumun period, um, the period that comes right before is called Chulmun period. And during that time, people were living in pit houses, uh, but they were also moving around quite often. So they were moving around seasonally, um, they were going towards resources, so they weren't permanently living, I would say, year-round. And um, so in the movement period, really at the middle movement period, you see um, large villages, and in these villages you would basically basically be living year-round. So that's what, you know, we archaeologists call a permanent village. And it's a pretty significant period in human history um, in any area of the world because once you have permanent settlements, you have all sorts of things that you have to figure out. So, you know, you have to figure out food for the year. You can't go to where the food is. So you have to make sure that you have a consistent and stable, reliable food source in the area. Uh, You also need to figure out some sort of village organization. So... Prior to living in permanent villages, um, you know, you're living in small groups. Small groups are relatively easier to manage. So when you have permanent settlements that um, start growing, you're going to need someone to manage, um, to sort of come up as a leader of sorts. Some research has suggested that the social scale of early Mumun societies was largely group-oriented and egalitarian. What did egalitarian mean to the people of that era in that context? So in archaeology, we refer to egalitarian societies as societies that have very little um, social inequality. So there's always going to be inequality because inequality is relative, right? Um, so you can have extreme forms of inequality. And, you know, you can see that in today's society. You have, you know, classes, right? Um, even in small hunter-gatherer groups, you have inequality. It'll be based on um, maybe gender, or it could be based on skills. Like if you're a better hunter, you know they're going to be perhaps perceived as uh, with more prestige. Um, in the early part of uh, the movement period, we don't really see definitive evidence of social inequality in the sense that anybody we couldn't we can't really say that anybody had a um, what we call hereditary inequality so you're not born into wealth and that's really important in um, determining the level of inequality because once you get born into it that means you didn't earn it right whereas um, in other egalitarian societies you have to really earn your place so you have inequality but it's not given to you so in the early moon period, yeah, we just kind of see maybe a low level of inequality. Was this standard across the peninsula? Was it typical? Yes, it was. 
I would say this was the typical pattern. Of course, we have areas in Korea and other regions where you see kind of a spurt towards inequality, um, but not to the extent that we could call it, um, you know, hereditary. What is household archaeology? Household archaeology is a field or discipline within archaeology where um, you are concerned with how a household, and so we distinguish that from family because in archaeology we can't, you know, there's a famous saying, archaeologists can't dig up a kinship system. So we don't, we deal with family, of course, but a household is, we think of it as quite distinct, but related to family. So a household can be made up of family members, but it could also be made up of non-family members or non-kin. So a household is really a social and economic unit um, often they're living together or in close proximity. So household archaeology studies um, this social group that we can distinctly recognize in the archaeological remains. In your paper, you examine household space and household place. So how do you define household space? Household space, I define it as something that is um, more visibly bounded. So... For instance, a house is a space, and a house will often have walls. Um, the outer wall, the most exterior walls of the house would be a obvious um, boundary for that space. And we can use these distinct or defined spaces to kind of draw lines where, okay, this is where a household used to be. Place is, um, is not as easily bounded. So a place is something more emotive. It can be um, really personal. So my idea of place might differ from your idea of place. For instance, the room that we're in, the way I perceive this room will be different from the way you perceive this room because my experience in this room is different, obviously. So places um, is related to space, a household space, but it's um, personal. It could be shared, for instance, um, the way that I perceive a certain building can be shared with other people. So if a group of people think that this building is um, very well designed or you know it's a building that has characteristics that means that you know very well-to-do people live here, you know those can, those kinds of things can be shared too. So in terms of the research, do you project your notions onto what you think the people might have had as a sense of, space? No, um, we, I don't think that we can really impose what we think. I mean, of course, there's always going to be some sort of uh, bias when we you know, look at data. But as archaeologists, we try to really stay objective. So of course, we can't understand um, what the place of anything is, you know, especially in prehistoric times. But we try to, based on the data that we dig up, um, based on the archaeological remains. We try to use those remains um, to try to understand how place was for the people that, um, that produced those remains. So what do we think the place was like for the people of uh, uh, Dong and Bexotong? So the Mu'an period is really interesting because you have a shift around 800 to 850 B.C., um, between the early Mumun and middle Mumun, where uh, my co-author and I, uh, Martin, and I really see 
a, a big shift in the place of the house or the household because you have, in, starting in the middle moon period, you have um, evidence of low-level social inequality. So right away you have certain houses that are going to be perceived to be more wealthy or more prestigious than other houses. Are place and space complementary or do they clash? They are complementary um, because you can't really have place without space. So they're related concepts. Um, of course, they are not always congruent uh, because one person's positive sense of space can be another person's negative sense of space. So um, I think it's kind of complicated, it's complex, but um, yeah, definitely related. I'd like to talk about the early Mumun dwellings. So tell me again what the homes looked like, how were they built, how many families typically lived in one structure? So in the early Mumun period, the houses were actually rectangular and they were relatively large. So, um, of course, we don't know exactly how many people could live, I mean, how many people live there um, because we don't get very good skeletal material. But it was definitely multifamily, so more than one nuclear family. And these houses can range in size. So these rectangular pit houses could um, easily house two nuclear families, but it could um, increase to more than five because in certain areas in Korea you have multiple hearths and we assume that each hearth was for one family one single family and hearth is like the cooking area yes that's where you would you know cook your food and so in some pit houses from the early moon period you have uh, like 10 hearths so we assume okay then maybe 10 single families or nuclear families live there um, in Pyeonggodong the typical pattern was uh, one hearth, but because it was um, an earlier part of the early moon period, um, it could be a regional kind of characteristic just to have one hearth for multiple single families, or it could have been, you know, um, we don't really know exactly, you know, why there's only one hearth, but it might just be a regional characteristic. But yeah, so multiple families in the early moon period, and starting with the middle moon period, you have circular pit houses. And they shrink in size in, in floor area, so because of the size, we assume only one single family could fit into that dwelling. The middle Moon Moon period, around 850 to 400 BC, marks the beginning of a significant change in society. Households were no longer organized as the multifamily unit, and they instead transformed into a single family unit, as you mentioned. Uh, and the transition led to an emergence of elites. So, what instigated this change? So this change is pretty important in the Mumun period and in Korean history um, or prehistory. Multiple causes probably led to this change. Um, one being perhaps population increase, um, another being agricultural changes. So in the early Mumun period, even though um, settlements were, uh, I mean, we have evidence of agriculture, but it's not till the middle moon that it's, we can call it very intensive. So um, you have change in really economic subsistence. So I think multiple things led to this transition. Um, and, but in my paper, I say that you know, household, change in household organization was um, part of that um, change. 
because you have in the early moon period these really big households and because they were big um, and you know we assume that it was extended family um, families living in these houses because of their sheer size that they simultaneously function as a household as well as kind of a polity so you know you don't have maybe settlement level of course there's going to be settlement level um, community of some sort but um, these households were key in terms of political organization but with the breakdown of these large multifamily households in the middle moon period you have sort of a vacuum you have an opportunity or context in which um, someone or some family or some small group can occupy a political niche now. So I, you know, my co-author and I, we both argue that household change was part and parcel to this um, just package of middle moon moon change. Oh, a big, a major reason uh for the multi-family dwellings was economic. Um, as you say, like they can simultaneously manage to do a lot of stuff together um, as yes. opposed to separate, like cultivation, hunting, fishing, and this is called task simultaneity. Yeah, so um, in the early moon period, they were uh, engaged in agriculture, but they were also um, fishing, they were hunting, they were doing a bunch of things. And when you live in a large household, you can divide and conquer, right? Um, but starting in the middle moon period, you have um, more intensified agriculture. So they're still doing other things like hunting and gathering, but agriculture takes uh, a much more important role in the economic subsistence of the moon people. So you no longer have this need to um, have small task groups within your household doing different things because people are um, they're more involved with agriculture one of the other reasons was inner dwelling walls so at some point they decided to begin to build walls um, you write that the Mumun people altered the place of the household whereas the configuration of early Mumun encouraged sharing middle Mumun households uh, by that time it became possible to separate conceal and hoard and the new wall boundaries better defined personal space and more profoundly allowed material items to be stored owned and used by individual families so i'm wondering how rapidly this change happened to the more independent or selfish society how quickly did that emerge it happened i mean archaeologically the way that we dig up remains it looks like it happens relatively fast because you get rectangular pit houses and then we get circular pit houses. So in the record it appears fast, but of course, you know, in um, in real life it didn't occur overnight. It, it probably occurred over a um, hundred years or a little bit more than that. It was, we can see by the end of the early moon period, pit houses start shrinking in size, so they get smaller and smaller and then we get in the middle moon period, you get the circular houses. Why does the moon period matter? Why do those changes matter when studying uh, Korean prehistory? Moon period is really important in Korean prehistory and history because it's the period in which we get 
social inequality or the first evidence of um, significant social inequality. And that really sets up the stage for the rest of Korean history because um, that's the beginning, that's the foundation in which people start having differences in wealth. And the rest is history, right? Because you have states forming um, shortly after in the Three Kingdoms period. And um, really the Mumu period is, is the origin of, of everything that came afterwards. That's The Korea File for this week. You can find new episodes of The Korea File on iTunes and Stitcher and as a featured contributor at koreafm.net, koreabridge.net, blogtalkradio.org, and AngloInfoSoul. If you like what you hear, like us on Facebook, and please leave a review of the show wherever you subscribe. It'll help new listeners discover the show. Music in this episode is from Bae In-suk's 1979 single, Then tune in on April 27th to learn about mortuary archaeology as Rachel Lee discusses her participation in the excavation of royal tombs in Gyeongju. Until then, thanks for listening. From Montreal, I'm Andre Goulet.